Today's reading is Acts 10, 1 through 33. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made some inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright man, and a God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for a Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So there was a, a man who walked into a bar. I'm sure he uh, ordered a, a sparkling water from the bartender. And as he was sitting there, it was just him and the bartender in the bar. And he heard this little voice said, nice shoes, nice pants, nice shirt. And he said to the bartender, excuse me, what, what, what did you say to me? And the bartender said, I, I didn't say anything to you. And he goes back to sipping his drink, and sure enough, a few minutes later, nice socks, nice hair, nice glasses. And he said, you know, you're, you're really freaking me out. Would you please stop talking to me? And the bartender said, sir, I haven't said one word to you since you ordered your drink. So the man moves to the other side of the bar, tries to get away from this talking bartender. And sure enough, a few minutes later, he hears this little voice, nice hair nice belt, nice shoes. And he said, you know, I, I'm just going to leave. You're, you're, you're really uh, f freaking me out. And the bartender said, sir, what, what are you hearing? I, I haven't said anything to you. And the man said, well, every few minutes I hear this little voice that says, nice hair, nice pants, nice shirt. And the bartender said, oh, it's the peanuts. They're complimentary. <laughs> the, the peanuts, you see. Comp complimentary. If you, if you like that joke, my name's Steve Porter. If you don't, uh, just call me Eric Balmer, and uh, we'll just go, go from there. All right, that has nothing to do with uh, my sermon for today, but... <laughs> so if you've been with us the last uh, few months, Pastor Daniel Long's been taking us through the book of Acts. And you know, the book of Acts is... It, it, the title of the book is actually the, the Acts of the Apostles, right? the Acts of the Apostles. It's, it's a book of, of actions and activities of the 12 disciples and Paul who becomes an apostle and their activities in the, in the early days and months of the emerging Christian church. And today we heard, Mackenzie read for us uh, uh, some of the actions of Peter in Acts chapter 10. But sometimes to pay attention to the, to the acts of the apostles, we need to go back and see how they acted before. So we're gonna do that today. We're gonna to come to Acts chapter 10, but I wanna go back to another incident in Peter's life, a similar sort of incident, in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, or if you want to use the one in the, the, the pocket beneath your seat, turn with me to, to Matthew chapter 16, in particular, verse 13. And in those Bibles in, the, in your seats, it's on page 822. So here we see Peter um, having a moment with, the, with, with Jesus and uh, it's actually a, a, a revelation he receives. We could call this the, the revelation. Sometimes we call it the confession of Peter, but the revelation of Peter. And, and, and Jesus' ministry, he's getting some popularity. People are learning about him. And he asks, who do people say that I am? And the disciples uh, inform him about who, who different ones think he is. But then he says to the disciples, who do you say that I am, in verse 15. And it's Simon Peter who replies, and his confession is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
Now that's quite an insight that Peter has here because what he's declaring is that Jesus is the Christus. Uh, that's the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew and Aramaic word for Messiah. What Peter is declaring is, Jesus, you are the anointed one of Israel that we've been waiting for. You, you have come to usher in the rule and reign, the kingdom of God. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You're the one, Jesus. You're, you're the hope of the ages. See, Peter really got it. I mean, he really understood. And, and Jesus goes on to affirm Peter in this passage and say, Peter, actually, that, that, that didn't come from you. It actually came from God the Father. He, he revealed that to you, Peter. So, so Peter not only got it right, but he was hearing rightly from God. But we soon find out in the passage that, that Peter both got it right and he didn't. So in verse 21, the text goes on to say that from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This didn't make sense to Peter. Peter was expecting a Messiah to come and lead Israel out of bondage. And so Peter rebukes Jesus. I, I love how he does this. He, he takes him aside, the text says, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. The one he just proclaimed as the Messiah, the, the Lord of Lord and kings of kings, it turns out the Messiah, from Peter's perspective, doesn't really understand how this is going to work. And Peter needs to help clarify this. Now, I think it's important for us to understand what's, what's, what's happening here for Peter. And, and I've been reading this book recently by, by a gentleman named Michael Polanyi. It's a, it's a book called Personal Knowledge. Some of you may be familiar uh, with, with this book. It was written back in 1958, actually. But it, it became a, a, a rather watershed book in 20th century philosophy of science. Polanyi was a Hungarian chemist. Uh, but, but the insight that he has that he, that he puts forward in this book is the idea that the knowing process, even the scientific knowing process, is personal. That our personal background, our, our, our culture, our ethnicity, our gender, how we were raised, our experiences, our personality, that our personal background influences, for better and for worse, our view of the world. We're, we're, we're influenced. We're not these objective knowers. We're subjective knowers, and our subjectivity influences how we interpret things. In fact, Polanyi used this phrase, our interpretive framework. The idea that we all approach the world with, with a framework rooted in our past experiences, our education, our background, our, our family of origins. We come to the world with a framework, and, and sometimes that helps us see things as they are, and other times it, it gets in the way. I want to I give an example of this. Eli, you can go to the next slide. That's, my, that's uh, our kitchen table. And um, a few months ago, I walked into our kitchen, glanced over, saw that, and I took a picture of it later. Didn't know that I was going to be using it here, but I took a picture of it. 
And uh, I, I saw that, and then I turned my attention to the counter. I forget what I was doing. And as I was looking at the counter, I had the following thoughts in kind of rapid succession. There's a vase designed like a watermelon on our kitchen table. And then I thought to myself, who would ever design a vase to put flowers in that looks like a watermelon? That's weird. And then my second thought was, we don't have a vase that looks like a watermelon, and I don't think someone gave us one in the last couple weeks. And then my third thought, and this was the clincher, is that I've been married to Alicia for over 20 years now, and she's only bought a few vases that I know of in that time, but I could bet a lot of money that she would never buy a vase that's designed, no offense, no offense if you have one, but I don't think my wife would ever buy a vase that's designed to look like a watermelon. And so I looked again, and I saw what you have probably, I don't know, that picture's kind of small, I don't know if you can decipher it, but I realized, oh, it's a vase of flowers on our table with a round watermelon in front of it. It's not a vase designed like a watermelon, right? What I thought reality was turned out to be something different. See, my interpretive framework allowed me and caused me, in a sense, to, to turn back to that image and see it more as it actually was. Because what I had thought it was didn't fit. And see, this is exactly what's going on with Peter. Jesus has, he's just professed and confessed that, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the, he's the Holy One of Israel. He's the Anointed One. And, and in Peter's first century Jewish framework, it made complete sense that Jesus would overthrow the Romans, he'd be a political military ruler, and he would reestablish the 12 tribes of Israel and the throne of David on the earth very soon. And so Peter was saying, Jesus, this stuff about you suffering and dying, see, Jesus, Peter was thinking to himself, there's nothing in Jewish history that says the Messiah is going to die. There, there, there's, there's nothing about our expectations that say somehow the Messiah isn't going to overthrow and, and establish his reign. And this stuff about rising from the dead, that just doesn't make sense. So Peter turns with that interpretive framework to Jesus, and he like, you can go to the next slide, and, he's, and, he, and he rebukes him, right? He turned and rebuke Jesus, but Jesus rebukes Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind. Your interpretive framework is, is, is on, not on the things of God, it's on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will find it. See, what's happening here is, is that Peter's not just refusing to take on Jesus' words about his suffering because he was bringing a first century Jewish interpretive framework to to Jesus' words, and it wasn't making sense. Peter didn't want to let go of his misunderstanding. 
Peter, actually, Jesus says, had his mind set on his own interests, not God's interests. Peter didn't like the sound of a suffering Messiah. He didn't like the sound of, of, of this Jesus who's going to go to his death. That didn't make sense to Peter, and, and he wasn't interested in it. He was resistant to it. And you know what I think that tells us about life with Jesus? Now, we're going to go to Acts chapter 10 in a minute, but hang on one second. I want to draw a few more points from this. You know what I think that tells us about life with Jesus? Three things. The first one is that disciples of Jesus can get things gloriously right and horribly wrong at the same time. Peter got it. He understood Jesus is the Messiah, and he didn't get it. He misunderstood. He didn't get all of what God was up to. We can oftentimes have partial knowledge, partial insight, partial understanding, but also misunderstanding, distortion. Remember, years ago now, uh, when my son Luke was about four or five, I was driving down the 405 freeway, and I, I, there was traffic, and you know, I just didn't, wasn't paying enough attention, and I missed the exit. I don't remember what exit it was, but I missed it. And I was, you know, oh, I missed that exit. We're going to have to go two more miles down. Oh, we're going to be late. And I was you know, making a big deal over missing the exit. And I remember Luke in the back seat, he said, Dad, why did you miss the exit? And I said, well, I couldn't see the sign and this traffic, and I had my mind up. And then eventually I just said, you know why I missed the exit, Luke? I'm the kind of guy that makes mistakes. That's why I missed the exit. See, we're the kind of people who make mistakes. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we can get it gloriously right and horribly wrong at the same time. Second thing I think this tells us is that disciples of Jesus are often slow on the uptake. Sometimes it takes us a while to come to understanding. Our, our personal background can help, but, but it can also get in the way. That's just not the way I was taught. That's, that's not what I've always thought about these things. That's, that's not part of my cultural framework. I, I don't see it that way. We can be slow to give up on the ways that we've tended to view things. Sometimes our background helps us see things aright, but sometimes it hinders us. It gets in the way. Disciples of Jesus can be slow on the uptake. The third thing I think we see here in Peter is that God's ways of operating, really this is Jesus' word to us, I think, in this passage, but God's ways of operating in the world are not always our preferred ways. It's not just that we bring the wrong interpretive framework, but, but there are times where, where what God is up to is, is uncomfortable, I want efficiency, I want control, I want a God who makes everything clear really quick and, and works efficiently and takes care of all the problems. And it looks like God's ways are often more gentle, slower, more gracious than my ways, more loving. 
he's into this thing of, of, of strengthening people in their weakness. I don't like that way. I want a God that's going to live more on my terms. And it looks like God is about something different. I was, I was thinking of that proverb that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to death. And I couldn't remember what proverb that was, so I looked it up. There's actually five proverbs, five different verses in the book of Proverbs that say something like that, that basically the way things seem right to us oftentimes isn't the way things are. It's not what God is actually up to. And all of that humbles me. I don't, I don't have it all figured out. Even the parts I think I do have it figured out, I may be wrong about. And I'm pretty slow to realize that quite a bit and that my intuitions are off. Oftentimes, what I think is right isn't as loving or gracious or patient as God is operating. So... What about Acts chapter 10? Well, let's turn there. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10. This is what was read to us this morning, this story of Peter and Cornelius. And if you'll notice, Peter has another mind-blowing revelation. And so uh, we see in, uh, well, it's up on the screen. I'll just read up on the screen. Uh, we see that, that uh, Peter is, is waiting in this, uh, the house of this tanner, another Simon, and he becomes hungry and he wants something to eat. And while they're preparing the food, he falls into a trance or a dream and he sees this, this vision of this sheet coming down and it has all these animals in it and some of the animals are clean, they're kosher, they're, they're the, the, the appropriate animals for a Jewish person to eat, and some of them aren't clean. They're not kosher, and they're mixed together. And in the dream, God says to Peter, rise, kill, eat. See, here's a revelation from God. And it's, it's, it doesn't fit Peter's interpretive framework. He's been a good, faithful Jew his entire life. Rise, kill, eat. No, right? I, I, I would never do that. By no means, Lord, far be it from you, Lord. No, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. And that happened three times for Peter in this dream. And then the sheet was taken up. See, here we have another revelatory moment. And and this one maybe isn't quite as mind-blowing as the idea that the Messiah is going to suffer and die and rose again, but it's pretty close. Culturally, the idea that faithful Jews can eat unclean animals, I mean, the Levitical law has made it quite clear. So Peter's probably thinking, God's laws on this are clear. I need to obey God's laws. I've always obeyed God's laws. There's something wrong with this picture. It doesn't fit my framework But notice what Peter does this time. Eli, you can go to the next slide. In verse 17 and 19, Luke tells us, 
Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean. I don't want to go over that too quickly. Peter is inwardly perplexed. He's, he's puzzled. He's confused. You know, educators, sometimes we call this cognitive disequilibrium. Again, it doesn't make sense to Peter, but he's hanging in there with it this time. He's hanging in there. He's perplexed. It's uncomfortable to, 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 to be dealing with something that doesn't fit the way I thought things were going to go. But Peter is hanging in there. He's, he's, he's dealing with that sense of puzzlement. When someone's inwardly perplexed or puzzled, it means they haven't immediately dismissed what was said. They're wrestling with it. Peter's hanging in there with it this time. And then verse 19 goes on to say, and while Peter was thinking about it or reflecting on it, or one translation has, while Peter was turning the vision over in his mind. See, that's interesting. Peter's response is so different now than it was in Matthew 16. Peter's thinking about it. He's perplexed, he's wrestling, and he's turning the vision over in his mind. How could I make sense of this? How can I fit this dream in with my understanding of the Levitical law? And in the midst of that process, the Spirit speaks to him. And actually, the Spirit not only speaks to him, but, but really confirms uh, what Peter was beginning to understand by taking him to Cornelius and Cornel hearing about Cornelius' dream. And, and, if, and we jump down to kind of the, the, the corrective. We see Peter now with Cornelius, with these Gentiles. And this is, this is where the gospel is going to break out past the Jews into the Gentile world. And, and Peter, again, is, is the one, the vehicle to, to understand what God is up to. And so Peter says uh, to Cornelius and the people gathered there, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, a Gentile, but God has shown me, he says. See, he's, he's come to understanding that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, and this is in the context of that whole story, right? When I was sent for, I came without objection. Oh, actually, Peter, you did object when the dream first came. Peter, you did object to Jesus, but this time you have come to understand things. That really is a vase with a watermelon in front of it, not a watermelon vase, right? He's seeing things as they are. He doesn't have any objections. He's accepted the truth as uncomfortable as it was. But again, God is more gracious, more loving, more inclusive than Peter thought he would be. And Peter's come to accept that here. You know what I think this tells us about life with Jesus? Again, I, I want to kind of come back to three things. 
So sometimes we can get things gloriously right and horribly wrong at the same time. And if disciples of Jesus can hang in there when we're confused, perplexed, puzzled, when it, when it doesn't make sense with our prior way of viewing things, if we can hang in there, we can often come to see things more clearly. With Peter, we can, we can hang in there in, those, in that cognitive disequilibrium and come to see things more as they are, come to see the truth. I bet you've noticed that we live in some pretty confusing and complicated times. There's a lot going on in our world that is hard to understand. Maybe it doesn't fit our interpretive framework, our, our background beliefs. It, we're struggling to, to figure out what God is up to, how he's at work in our own lives, maybe in this church, in the world today. See, I, I think this lesson of realizing that often we, we have something right, but often we, we don't quite understand it all. And, and in fact, the thing we think we have right may be the very thing we actually don't understand. I think, that, I think that insight can help us not just when it comes to our interpretation of the Bible or our understanding of what God's doing in our lives, but when it comes to moral issues, politics, social issues that we're dealing with that are complicated and confusing, to, to step back and say, you know, I probably don't have this all right. I probably don't have this all figured out. I, I think I understand some of what's going on, but there's probably a lot that I'm missing here. To step back and, 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 and realize that we, like Peter, can often make mistakes. We're the kinds of people who make mistakes. And so the second point is that God's people are often slow on the uptake. It, it, it often takes us a while to come to see things as they are. Our, our personal background and the, and the background of others can, can hinder us, it can get in the way. But if disciples of Jesus, if we keep thinking about it, if, we, if we're patient with ourselves and with one another, turning it over in our minds, open to how God will continue to lead us, we can often come to a better understanding. I think it can be really helpful to realize that there's, there's reasons why I see it the way I do, whatever the it is. There's reasons why I, I feel so strongly about this, but I could be wrong. And there's also reasons why the person that I might be disagreeing with or, or critical of, there's reasons why they see it the way they do. And they might be wrong too. But to be patient with one another, we're oftentimes slow on the uptake. It takes us a while to come to see and admit, oh yeah, okay, I see it now. I was thinking about this passage in Timothy, it's 2 Timothy 2, 7, where, where Paul says to Timothy, reflect or think about what I'm saying, Timothy, and the Lord will give you insight into everything. And that, that, that theme in Scripture of, 
of think about it, turn it over in your mind, talk to people about it, and God will lead us in that. He'll give us insight. The third thing I want to say is that God's ways of operating in the world, as we saw in Matthew 16, are not always our preferred ways. But if disciples of Jesus set their minds on God's interests, if we set our minds on God's interests more than our own interests, if we're willing to die to life on our terms, we can often come to see more fully what God is up to in this world and what he's up to in our lives. And oftentimes it's going to blow our minds what God is up to. He might be more gentle than we are. He might be more generous than we are. He might be more gracious, more loving, more inclusive. He might be more patient than we are. He might be working his strength in our weakness, which is so counterintuitive. I want him to work his strength in my strength, not his strength in my weakness. Um, Daniel texted me yesterday and said, how are you feeling about your sermon? And uh, I said, you know, I think it's pretty clear to me what I'm supposed to say, but I'm struggling with an application. I don't, I don't really know how to apply it. And as I thought about that, I, I kind of began to think, you know, I think that's God's job. <laughs> I think the Spirit is here to apply this to our lives. Because I don't know what the issues are in your life or the people you're in conversation with where maybe you need to say to yourself, to them, you know, I could be off on this. It, it, maybe it's not quite as clear as I thought it was. Maybe I've gotten something right, but I've probably gotten some things wrong on this too. Would you be patient with me while I try to figure it out? Would, would you engage with me as, as we try to sort through this? Because I bet God is up to something that's, that's far bigger and better and more gracious than what I realize. So I just want to invite you as the worship team comes up to, to turn to prayer just for a moment. And I just want to give us a moment in prayer to allow the Spirit to speak to us like the Spirit spoke to Peter. And the question that I might have is, what are the, what are the, the topics, the issues in your life, maybe the people that you need to reapproach? that I need to reapproach and admit that I don't have it all figured out. Just take a moment, just perhaps there's a topic or, or a person or a group of people. So Lord, just like Peter, we are your disciples, we are your students, and just like Peter, we're on a, we're on a journey and uh, we, we don't have it all figured out. There's so many things that we see through a dimly lit mirror, Paul says. Uh, we, we, we don't see as clearly as we could. And even the things, Lord, 
that, that maybe we feel like we've got a grip on, sometimes even those things uh, we come to find out aren't as clear as we thought they were. Lord, thank you that you keep working with us, uh, that, that you have patience as we uh, stumble along in our understanding of you, in our understanding of your work in our life, in our understanding of one another, in our understanding of, of, of what you're doing in this very complicated, confusing world that we live in. Lord, help us to be a patient people who, who, who have learned to uh, come after you, to follow you and deny ourselves and, and take up our cross, that, that it's not about getting life on our terms, Lord. It's about your way and what you're up to. So, Lord, we need you for that. We, we thank you for your grace and your presence, and uh, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.